Good morning. Uh, I've asked everyone to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Oh, it's different. That's last week's. See, I was here. I was listening. Uh, Hebrews five, chapter 5, verse 11. So uh, I was going to ask everyone to follow along with the screen, but you'll have to just listen or open your Bibles or your iPhone. Verse 11. There is much we could say about this, but it is hard to make you understand. It is because you do not want to hear well. By now, you should be teachers. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the first things you need to know from God's word. You still need milk instead of solid food. Anyone who lives on milk cannot understand the teaching about being right with God. He is a baby. Solid food is for full-grown men. They have, earned, they have learned to use their minds to tell the difference between good and bad. God grant us understanding of his word. Thanks, John. Thanks for being flexible on the moment. <laughs> well, good morning to you all. And uh, awesome to be together again today. I would invite you to take your sermon outlines. They're tucked away in your Sunday news. And uh, as we think about the theme for this morning, we're at the outset of a new series of messages called uh, Unstuck. Unstuck. And, and you have received a gift this morning of double bubble. Hope you got one. Generous, generous gift from your pastor, eh? Is that the best he can do? Little bubble gum. Uh, but when's the last time anybody ever gave you bubble gum? I bet it's been hard to, to remember that. So now this is going to seem a little strange this morning. Uh, <laughs> and it's really going to date me. But years ago, years ago, because there were so many gophers in the community where we lived on the farm, they actually paid you for bringing in the tails of gophers. They didn't want the whole gopher, of course. They just wanted evidence that you had omitted a gopher on the land. And I hope I don't get a call from cruelty to animals here. It meant you had killed a gopher, snipped off their tail, and you were to bring that into a depot in the town. That's a few years ago. As a 10-year-old, I had under my belt 26 gopher tails, for which I received 52 cents. I went next door and invested the whole 52 cents on bubble gum. Well, you see, these double bubbles are a little nostalgic. And they're given as a reminder that in the hope that if you see the bubble gum, you will pray. Uh, now, if you intend to chew on it, you could do that too, if you haven't already. Uh, we didn't give the gum to kids for some obvious reasons, like getting stuck under the chairs. But adults, no concern. So if the sermon gets a little boring and there's not enough to chew on, you can chew on double bubble. But mostly I hope you'll pray for the series and uh, ask God to use it and encourage the series uh, in, in our hearts and challenge us for His glory that we will get unstuck, that we will get unstuck. 
wherever we might be stuck in our journey. We talked last week about getting unstuck when life isn't panning out the way we might hope. That was that Habakkuk passage. What do we do? And from the book of Habakkuk, we learned how the prophet got unstuck by waiting and hearing God for his future. Some of us these days, I think, are dreaming, and we've, we've kind of brought our dreams to a conclusion. Like, we, we'd really, it just is too painful to dream. And we feel stuck. And we ask, where is life taking us? And we learned a powerful lesson from Habakkuk that when we're unsure of the, of the path that God is taking us on, we need to just lay back and be quiet and wait. And there were three or four points. Wait in a quiet place. Wait patiently. Wait expectantly. And then write it down. Write it down. Journal it. And discover what God is saying to you. And in the waiting and in the quietness, we begin to see what God is up to. And while we won't get all the answers, we, we seldom do, we will grow in our confidence that God is God, that He's on the throne, that He is sovereign, and that He loves us. Now, sometimes we get stuck spiritually. And that's what we want to bite into for a few moments uh, this morning. So number one, stuck, stuck. All of us feel the same about our children and grandchildren, I'm sure. I find that it is the undivided opinion of almost every family I meet that they have the smartest, brightest, and cutest or most handsome kids that ever lived. And it's no secret that the kids in our families say very clever things. We take great delight in some of the expressions, some of the words that they come out with. And uh, for some of us, that's now true with our grandchildren. I will pick on our little four-year-old granddaughter in Michigan. The parents aren't here, so I can't embarrass them. And Audrey is a little cutie, and she is a joy to be around. And one of the ways she lets you know that she likes you is that she comes up to you and she gives you a little love tap on the knees because that's how high she is. And she'll just... That's Audrey. That's Audrey. And she's just trying to get your attention. And she's just trying to say, Grandpa, I like you. Or, Grandma, I like you. Bang, 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 bang. There's Audrey. Now, that's her unique love language. But if at this stage of her life something should happen and her body kept growing but her mind stopped and she went on saying the same clever thing she's saying now or giving you taps on the knee when she's 20 and her body has matured into full womanhood, uh, we would no longer find great delight in what she says or does. It really fits for this stage of her life. But we expect her expressions to change in the future, right? With all of our kids. We expect that, well, she will just grow up. <laughs> and she would be so embarrassed if she did that when she was 20. Our joy would be turned to sorrow. We would feel great grief at the sight of our dear one suffering from arrested development. Her cute little sayings would no longer be cute. There's a few verses of Scripture in the book of Hebrews that John read for us 
And regardless of which translation you read it in, it has an edge to it. It's got an edge to it. It's Hebrews chapter 5, 11 to 14, and here it again it is from the message. I have a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time you ought to be teachers yourselves, yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one, baby's milk. When you should have been on solid food long ago, milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. Now, somewhere along the way, these followers of Christ got stuck in their walk of faith. They, just, they didn't get too far, and, and they immediately got stuck. And underlying these verses is the reminder that age alone does not produce maturity. Age alone does not produce maturity. We sometimes think that the years alone will be productive in and of themselves to help us grow, uh, to, to, to get us to move out of those areas in which we've been stuck. We think maybe if we've been irritable in our 30s, anybody here in the 30s, we would outgrow that and be very patient in our 60s. Or for sure in our 80s, you got it down. Not always true, is it? Perhaps we will yet grow out of those hot tempers, those catty tongues, those jealous spirits, those selfish decisions. That time will take care of some of those weaknesses. But you know, time never brings maturity, not in itself. I, I read recently of a principal in a high school who had an administrative post to fill. And he promoted one of his teachers with 10 years of teaching experience to the job. And when the announcement was made, another teacher in the school came to him terribly upset. And she said, why did you put that guy in this position? He's only had 10 years of experience and I've had 25 years of experience, yet you passed over me in favor of him. And the principal said, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You haven't had 25 years of experience. You've had one, year's, one year experience 25 times. 25 times. And that's the situation with these Hebrew Christians. As the writer points out in chapter 5, they've been going through the same experiences again and again all the years of their Christian life. But they're stuck in year one. The only thing they got going for them is time, and time is going by, but not maturity. That can happen to any of us. We get stuck. Someone said that he has analyzed his difficulty, and he has decided that he is suffering from prolonged adolescence, merging into premature senility. What? He's suffering from prolonged adolescence. A nice way, a great way to say, stuck. I'm not growing up. I'm stuck. How do you identify those of us who get stuck along the way? Well, the writer says you ought to come to a point where you're instructing others. You ought to, you ought to be teaching others. So growth means instructing others. Verse 12, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. 
Now, I don't think that means to be in the role of a teacher necessarily, but more in the sense of helping another person. The inability to help someone, perhaps, perhaps to come alongside of somebody who is struggling with problems and to say, well, you know, I've been down that road a little bit and here's what I've found God is doing in my life and maybe this will be a, a, a resource to you. The, the inability to point someone to Christ. Their need is obvious. They're looking for God in their lives and our struggle is to, to know what to do with that. They're basically asking, well, how do you cope with all this stuff that comes your way? And we have a perfect platform to express the power and grace of Jesus who lives in us. And we have a way to say, well, it, you know, honestly, there's a lot of things you could do, but it's Jesus. Really, it's the Holy Spirit working in us that gives us the strength to overcome that. Only Jesus. But we're not sure what to say. Or maybe, in fact, is Christ really the hope of the world? Does he really make a difference in my life? And then added to that, these believers, even though they're not recent believers, they struggle to glean more than just the basics of God's Word. So growth means moving beyond the basics, to grow beyond the basics. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food, verse 12. So they haven't worked through the issues of, well, how to hear God's voice? Do do you know how to hear the voice of God? Do you understand the sovereignty of God? Do you understand something of the teaching of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand something of suffering and pain and how God shapes us on the anvil of adversity and that he's not against us when he's doing that, when that's happening in our lives? Some haven't realized the cunning nature of the enemy. It's more than just the basics. Somewhere along the line, they got stuck. They stopped growing. They stopped being curious. They stopped taking their Bible and searching for what God has to say about this. And then there is the issue of discernment. Growth means growing in discernment. Growth means growing in discernment. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So when we get stuck... In Christian infanthood, we find ourselves making some blunders, creating problem situations, entering into needless conflict struggles, uh, maybe putting major emphasis on something very minor, not discerning what is important to the growth of the body of Christ. Discernment. Is that a hill to die on? Some people die on the strangest hills. Discernment discernment. When we are stuck, we may be doctrinally undiscerning. There are theological fads that grow through, that blow through churches. You know that. You've seen them. Just like there are leadership fads that blow through organizations. Styles of worship blow through. Prosperity gospel messages blow through. Well, watch the architectural styles they change through the decades. Certain star figures of the Christian faith, celebrities, take the limelight. And if you aren't connected with this famous leader, you aren't with it. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. You know the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. For some who are stuck, 
They latch onto something and say, this is the way it should be in our church. I'm going back to our church and I'm saying, that's how it ought to be here. I'm going to push my way in this area. We must have a mature congregation because seldom do I ever feel that pressure. So the writer of Hebrews writes an edgy few verses to those who are stuck and he calls them out to look at areas in which they might be stuck. It was the heart cry of the Apostle Paul that no one gets stuck. He longed to see people keep growing and stretching in their faith. The Apostle Paul was a church planter and he was on three major missionary journeys and what a joy to his heart to see people grow in their faith. And as he revisited the churches which he helped establish, there was a certain part of him, his, his heart, it was just often so heavy. He carried a big load. He, he established those churches, but, but yet the pressure he felt for all of those followers of Christ was just immense. They were in need of mentoring. They were in need of encouragement. They were need, in need of some instruction and some guidance. And, and he wasn't there all the time. And, they were swayed by the false teachers so prevalent in their day by just trying to knock these new followers off course. I mean, this wasn't just a job for Paul. This, was, this being a missionary, it was his life. It was everything to him. It was personal. It was consuming. It was a deep calling on his life. And when people got stuck in their journey, Paul felt it. He just, ah, oh, what do I do? He agonized with it, and he, he did all he could do to get them unstuck. Look at how he says it in Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Or here it is in the message. Do you know how I feel right now and will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives like a mother in the pain of childbirth. How descriptive. How many times have you said to someone, oh, I really see you growing in your faith. And often the response is, really? I can't see it in myself. Honestly, all of us, if we're honest, feel disappointed and frustrated in our spiritual journey at times. Lewis Meads, I love this, to paraphrase, he, said, he once said, If you've ever been frustrated with what you know of spiritual life, ever wondered if real change is possible, ever felt confused or stuck, you're my kind of person. I think, I, I understand that. We all get it. And we all carry a certain amount of disappointment, feeling that all is not as it should be. Some of it's trivial. I mean, I wouldn't have mind getting a more muscular physique. I'm disappointed. Well, I haven't worked at it either, but... <laughs> I would like to be an electrician. You should see the electricians in this congregation. They're amazing. They're amazing electricians. I wish I had their talent. Or so many trades that are represented here. I can't do any of that stuff. Sometimes in the midst of a big reunion with all these high-powered classmates. Disappointed in my ordinariness. Like, who am I? Disappointed in my role as a father through the years. Maybe rush the kids to bed. 
so I would have more time for myself. Kind of disappointing. Disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. You know, I always had the idea as a child that adults were pretty much the people they wanted to be. If you were an adult, you got uh, One of the great works of art is Michelangelo's Pita, a marble statue of an anguished Mary holding the crucified Christ. Well, some fanatics took sledgehammers to that beautiful work of art, that statue, to destroy it. Kind of like ISIS is destroying all these wonderful historical monuments over in Iraq. And although the damage was significant, Vatican artists were able to restore the statue to near-perfect condition. You know, you were created to be a masterpiece of God. The Apostle Paul writes, for we are God's workmanship, or even perhaps to say, you're God's work of art. You're God's work of art. God made you to know oneness with him and with one another. God made you to rule and reign with him. And getting stuck keeps us back from God's work of art being perfected. But God is determined to overcome the defacing of his image in us. His plan is not simply to repair most of our brokenness. He wants to make us new creatures, doesn't he? He wants to make us brand new creatures in him. So while we're facing this universal disappointment, there is always this great hope bubbling up inside of us, this inextinguishable hope that moves us to a position of being unstuck. Unstuck. Where do we get stuck? You name it. I'm just going to run the cursor over a few areas just as we close in a few moments. But this might help us to get unstuck. First of all, growing in obedience to biblical instruction. There's a couple of pertinent verses in Acts chapter 2 which gives wonderful insight into the life of this dynamic young community of faith when the early church was was newly birthed. And it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, uh, and to prayer, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. The Lord gave a biblical command before he ascended to heaven. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age. Great words. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And one of the commands is baptism. We're going to witness a couple of baptisms in, in this morning. So excited to hear their story and the journey that, that God has them on. And so glad that they understand that baptism stands at the very beginning of the journey as a way to to declare that their lives are under new management. We call it going public. And there is something about it that is amazingly powerful in the future growth of our spiritual lives. But I know that some people get stuck here on baptism. 
and may feel, well, you know, I'm really new to the faith. Uh, maybe I'll be baptized when I get older. Uh, maybe I'll get baptized when I learn more. Uh, maybe I'll get baptized when I get my life cleaned up. Have you ever thought that way? And I'm so happy to remind us all this morning that baptism is not about maturity. It's not about new beginnings. Uh, it is about new beginnings. So if you, if you have committed your, your life to Christ and you've just started the journey, you could be baptized. Uh, and that's what Jesus wanted you to do. He wanted you to mark out your new faith. He wanted you to mark out your new commitment to him by doing something tangible, something public. And therefore, he chose baptism, which indicates a new beginning. And if you've been waiting and waiting and trying to get the courage up to be baptized, we really desire for you to take that step. Uh, and maybe the one video that you see this morning will help you say, oh, I could do that. I don't like being up front to talk, but I could be videoed. And so maybe that will be helpful to you. There, you know, but there's something about being obedient in every area of life that just helps us to get unstuck. So I encourage you to take that very important step. It's, it's a step of obedience. And when you take the step, it somehow frees you to follow in your heart to be a devoted follower because you know you're being obedient to what Jesus wanted you to do. The early church was also faithful to gather together on a regular basis for worship and to observe the Lord's Supper. You know, there's something about worshiping together like we're doing this morning uh, that grips our hearts and spurs us onward. And Jesus reminded us to gather around the table of the Lord often, the Eucharist, the, the communion time, so we could specifically bring to mind the amazing work of Christ on our behalf. And to always remember that. Never let that get very far from our minds. And to remember it and to give thanks. And these early Christians got together every week in a small group setting. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 10 verse 25 says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Notice the habit of meeting together. It's kind of like this fire. The, the coals are all hot. If I were to take one of the coals out of the fire and set it off by itself, it would grow cold. It would lose its heat. But if I take that coal and put it back in the fire again, it gets hot again. And that's what fellowship does. You by yourself, you're going to grow cold. You're going to grow weak. You're going to grow wimpy. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to have the spiritual strength that you need. You must be in a small group where iron sharpens iron and the fire helps each other stay warm. We find the pattern for small groups in Acts 5.42. It says they met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. So temple courts is the large group setting and house groups uh, house to house is, is the small fellowship, the small groups. And we need both. There are going to be times, uh, maybe even this year, when you need someone to be there for you. What would, if, if something really, really difficult happens in your life, do you have a safety net in place? When the crisis comes, when the rogue winds come, when the terrible storms come into your, your life, and you need some people in your life who you've already made contact with and you know them, 
Who in your life would show up if you had a disaster? And here's also the question, who would you show up for if they had a disaster? Does anyone know that they can count on you? You need a daily time with God, and you need a weekly time with God. You need to get together with believers every week and to get together with God every day. So getting unstuck. How about through developing good habits? Can I just give you some rapid-fire approaches to help us getting unstuck in our journey of faith? They're not inclusive at all. They're just some prompters. The habit of taking good care of our bodies, getting rest, having some margin in our lives. We're going to talk about that again in a few weeks. But you know, sometimes we're just stuck in life because we're, we're tired. We're worn out. We're emotionally exhausted. It's hard to grow in, in your faith when you're emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, and lacking in any margin for life. We get unstuck when we take care of the body and the soul and the mind. I had a phone call not just a couple weeks ago, and, and it was an invitation to be part of a, a ministry in the conference, volunteer. Uh, but I hate saying no, but I had to say no because it would rob me of the margin that I need in my life. So I had to say no. Which wasn't a good feeling. But there are times when you do have to say no. The habit of mentoring and being mentored. We get unstuck by having someone in our life who is a joy carrier. Do you have anybody like that in your life? They're joy carriers. When we're around them, they breathe life into us. If you've got somebody like that, value those people because they're gifts from God. And if you can share your heart freely, that helps you get unstuck. Then the habit of slowing down. Hurry is the great enemy of the, of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry can keep us from living well. Hurry is often the culprit for getting stuck, slowing down. And then finally, the, the habit of servanthood. One of the greatest sticking, sticking points in all of humanity is the place of pride. It's like the oldest sin in the book. And it has various looks. Sometimes it takes a little discernment to figure out what it is. But below the surface, it is pride that lurks. Perhaps it's vanity. Perhaps it's stubbornness. Perhaps it's exclusion of others. They're all just manifestations of pride. And serving is a wonderful way to break pride. Generosity is a wonderful way to break pride and become unstuck. So getting unstuck spiritually. The list could continue, but we want to celebrate two people who are choosing to move forward. So we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to meet the people who are being baptized this morning. But first of all, I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we know your Spirit speaks so clearly to each of us. So we simply say, Lord, yes. We hear you, we honor you, and we ask your strength to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.